Welcome to Peace Pathfinders, your guide to cultivating inner and outer peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Bremer. Join us on a journey of transformation through personal stories, expert interviews, and thought-provoking discussions. We'll dive deep into the complexities of peace, sharing insights and practical tools to help you navigate life's challenges with grace and resilience. Whether you're seeking inner tranquility, striving for harmony in your relationships, or looking to make a positive impact on your community and the world, you're in the right place. Hello, Peace Pathfinders community, and welcome to another enlightening episode. I am your host, Dr. Jody Bremer. Today, we are honored to have a distinguished guest whose life's work revolves around fostering positive environments for growth and connection. Our guest, Dr. Ahmad Zahir, is the co-founder of the Nurturing Environments Institute. He is an assistant professor of school psychology in the Department of Psychology at St. John's University. Dr. Zahir is a pediatric school psychologist and has worked on numerous projects in clinics, hospitals, and public and alternative school settings that involve direct and indirect consultation services across individual, group, classrooms, and system levels. His areas of interest are in implementing science, specifically focused on creative, comprehensive, school-based prevention programs by integrating school mental health, social-emotional learning, and school-wide positive behavioral interventions and support. For his work in these areas, Dr. Zahir was awarded the Council for Exceptional Children's Professional Performance Award in 2019. Additionally, Dr. Zahir sits on the steering committee for the national group, Family School Community Alliance, which is an organization dedicated to creating robust collaboration and engagement across schools and families and community settings. I have known Dr. Zahir, or Ahmad, since our grad school days, and he sure has been busy since that time, creating positive waves of change. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to Dr. Ahmad Zahir, a beacon of wisdom in the realms of psychology, education, and the pursuit of peace. Welcome, Ahmad. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So before we start, I just wanted to ask you maybe more of a fun or quirky daily ritual that tends to bring you positivity and mindfulness in in your life that may lead to more inner peace. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> so, um, the, the one thing I actually mentioned um, that I know you and I have talked about before, but um, that I always find is that you know a lot of the strategies that I recommend as a professional are not necessarily the strategies I do as a person. Um, so that's why I love this question. So I would say, you know, more often than not, you know, outside of something formal like meditation or exercising, um, I actually end up just uh, at some point somewhat against my will, uh, having to sit down with one of my cats, um, because they want my attention and they want to get pets. And, you know, and if you know, if you have cats, you know, they're, they're going to get your attention no matter what. Um, but it starts off with a great deal of frustration because I'm usually trying to finish something and, you know, trying to get the next email out. Um, but I've learned to kind of uh, be in, in a form of acceptance of that and, and recognize that my cats are actually helping me take a break and just uh, just being really present with them and just giving them maybe those five, 10 minutes. And, you know, and they always leave after that. Uh, so I think that's something that actually uh, I can't even take credit for. I think it's like my cats serving as my uh, live, live-in self-care helpers. 
yeah, your self-care support staff is there to help out. Yeah. Nudge you to take a break. Oh, that, I yeah. love that. I used, to have a, I used to have a computer software that I think would um, automatically prompt me to take a mindfulness break. Um, and I feel like the cat version of that is just so much better. Oh, yeah, I would agree. There's something about animals. Um, that's for sure. What are your cat's names? Uh, so I have an older one, uh, the male, who's Dash. Um, and then I have a little one who's, uh, she's, uh, uh, row, like row, row, row your boat, uh, which is apparently what they used to sing to her at the shelter. So that's Aww. why they give her that name. I like that. Um, well, thank you for sharing. I just like, I think this is such a great question because it is a little bit more fun, but I think it just kind of goes to show that we can kind of cultivate or seek out peace in many different ways, whether it's like a more formalized activity, like you're saying, like a meditation practice or, you know, under some instruction or just taking a moment, you know, to kind of spend time with the kittens. Um, so how how do you define peace for yourself? Because I feel like peace is such a, a big word, you know, as far as definition and it's it's so unique. Um, to people, you know, and how we might define it or cultivate it in our life. So how, how do you define peace for yourself? That's a, another great question. And I think, um, so I'm a little bit of a, I just to give a little bit of background on myself. I'm a very anxious person by probably by trait. Like my, I just, I was born anxious. I'm, I'm a, coming from a long line of anxious people. Um, and you know, I think our anxiety is often helpful, right? <laughs> we survive a lot of dangers by being anxious. Um, but I think when I think of peace, I often, I often end up thinking about, you know, the the inner sensation, right, of, of feeling peaceful or tranquil. Uh, at least that's the image that comes to mind, like a, a a lake that's just very calm, right? There's no ripples, and you can kind of see the reflection in it. Uh, but when I reflect on that on my own experience, mm -hmm. the lake's never been calm. Right? <laughs> it's always been it's always been stormy waters, right? And that's I think deep biology rather than like uh, anything even happening in my life, right? So uh, I can be very anxious and thinks and feel very chaotic, even if nothing is actually chaotic. Um, and then of course, as you get older, life is chaotic. So you're certainly not, you know, it's certainly not helping along the way. So I think from my definition of peace in some ways is actually, um, I wouldn't necessarily say um, the internal sensations of peace or, or feeling calm, mm -hmm. uh, but more in some ways being able to, even in the chaos, uh, find a sense of calm, uh, at least a different version of it. Uh, but never really quite getting to that calm lake version of the of peace that I think at least my mind conjures up when I think about the question. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And that's interesting because it sounds like you never fully feel peace then. Like it's it's kind of not an absolute like you're but you I can see how you might feel more peaceful than you did five minutes ago or a day ago. But um, so it sounds like it's kind of in the middle there as far as like never fully achieving it, but certainly having it, you know, even in the middle of the storm, you know, as you say too. Yeah, sometimes the, the metaphor, um, and I, I use a lot of metaphors in my work as a psychologist, and I often give people is that you could be out at sea in a storm and it's very wild weather and big waves. Um, but if you go deep enough in the water, um, you know, even the stormiest seas are very calm if you go deep enough. Um, and Interesting enough, I'm a school psychologist by training, so a lot of my work is in schools. And you know, even if you don't work in schools, if you've been around kids, um, you know, they're they're chaos embodied. They're the opposite of peace usually. <laughs> um, and so I think you know, there there's a weird version of peace where I feel like, um, partly because of my anxiety, I feel like I'm very at home in the chaos of settings like schools, um, where I can kind of 
be mindful of all the things that I'm feeling and any of the things that I'm seeing and still retain some level of calm and tranquility in that moment. So do you think that peace is found um, in combination, I guess, with anxiety or with kind of chaos, as you're saying? Like, do you feel like you can have an absence of conflict? Um, I keep bringing up conflict, but I guess it's more just chaos um, and still and have peace or that would be too uncomfortable, maybe. I think it's possible. Um, and maybe just to introduce a little bit of uh, jargon from our field uh, that I know you'll be familiar with um, is, you know, I think one of some of the stuff that I study is more mindfulness approaches like acceptance and commitment therapy. And one of the interesting things that in, in acceptance commitment therapy is that we, you know, don't actually aim to reduce, say, someone's anxiety or, you know, feelings of distress. We actually try to help the person um, become more flexible in the moments when they're feeling distressed or anxious or really any other, you know, difficult emotion or internal experiences that they're that they're dealing with. Um, and what we find is that actually for a, a sizable amount of people, even if we're not trying to reduce their distress, uh, it's a, a welcome side effect, right? People end up reducing their anxiety, even though that's not what we're aiming to do uh, explicitly as part of the, the therapy. Um, but we also find a group of people that it never reduces for. Right. They might become very flexible. They're living their values. You know, they're, they'll report that they're living a meaningful life. Um, but they also still report all the anxiety or, or distress. Uh, it's just no longer controlling their life in a way that's causing other distress, right? The, the secondary distress of I'm too anxious to go, you know, socialize with my family. Um, so for me, that actually resonated with me when I was learning it because I realized early on that even when I successfully was able to overcome certain areas of my anxiety, um, the anxiety didn't go away. Uh, in fact, it never has gone away. Right? So it's still just there pretty much as it was from the beginning. Um, but my life has continued to grow considerably and I'm a lot more flexible even when the anxiety comes along. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, cause, so it sounds like you're saying um, just so kind of like leaning into the emotions and kind of accepting things for what they are, not necessarily agreeing with that, but it's just, this is life for better or worse, you know, and we can put a judgment on it. Like, Oh, this is a good feeling or bad feeling. Um, but otherwise we're just kind of accepting things as they are. And I can see how that kind of takes away from like the suffering that might come from it. If we're not accepting of that and trying to get rid of our feelings, um, or push them away or that avoidance or escaping um, and just kind of leaning into it and achieving more like a meaningful life in that way. Um, but I see what you're saying. It sounds like peace isn't necessarily the goal here or even the direction. It's, it's really, it could be like a positive effect, um, but it doesn't necessarily happen with all people um, or just like that more positive like sense of well-being or emotional state it's it can be a side effect but might not be but at the very least it sounds like it reduces like an element of suffering even if you're still in emotional pain is that what you're saying yeah yeah and i think that's a really good way of putting it i feel like sometimes we don't have the the right words to describe it because i sometimes i'll tell people you know my anxiety and fear isn't down but my contentment is up because i'm living a life closer to what what i value um, and so, you know, again, from moment to moment, if you survey me and ask me how, how stressed I am, it's always going to be high. <laughs> um, and again, it's not just my experience. I think the um, one of my favorite studies when I'm working with parents is I tell them, like, parents as a group are more stressed out than non-parents. Um, and 
most parents are not shocked by that. They know how stressing parenting is. Um, but I also tell them that parents also report higher levels of meaning in life. Um, non-parents. Yeah. So I think, and I think that's what I, I think that I can relate to that, uh, in terms of that experience of, um, you know, noticing that sometimes even the stress is a required part of doing something meaningful in your life, right? So if you're going to, go and try to repair, excuse me, uh, repair a relationship that you had that might be fractured. Uh, that requires having an uncomfortable conversation. Um, and in some ways requiring somewhat purposely disrupting the piece. Um, but once if you can do that and, and maybe, you know, come out on the other side with a better relationship, um, that can actually lead us to, again, long-term contentment and meaning in life um, as, a, as a whole. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, I'm just thinking. So do you think your definition of peace might wrap up into like values and meaning then and making meaning for you too? Because it sounds like it's, it might be a little different than like an emotional state, but at the same time, you're also talking about it like an emotional state too, it sounds like. Because um, it sounds like some kind of like, even if you might be in pain or have high anxiety, you find some peace and just doing some meaning, something meaningful, even if you don't find like that, like emotional state, like fully calm, or maybe it's just slightly calmer than it was before. It sounds like it's kind of twofold, maybe a emotional state of being, but also like a contentment maybe with just finding meaning or, or engaging in actions that's within what you value in life. Yeah, I think so. And I think, like I said, I think uh, the wording is difficult, but there's definitely emotions involved regardless. Right? So um, we're, we're emotional beings. Um, and I, I'm almost even thinking, I don't know why this example is coming to mind, is I, I almost like a, you know, a day where I can maybe just sleep on the couch all day and just relax and maybe, you know, watch Netflix. Right. And in some ways, it's a very peaceful day. I'm, I'm you know, physically relaxed. I'm enjoying myself. Um, and then there's other days where I'm just running around from the moment I woke up and I get home late at night and I've done a lot of things, but maybe I accomplished something that day. Um, and there's a sense of peace after that day that doesn't exist on the days I'm on the couch, right? When I'm actually actively relaxing, but there's almost like a sense of accomplishment and um, contentment in what, how my day went because I achieved something big uh, in my, you know, as I was busy and working through my day. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually just one good example of this recently is that um, just this past summer, I had my first, um, doctoral student who successfully, you know, defended their dissertation and graduated essentially. Um, and I was a nervous wreck. I was way more nervous for her than I was for my own. Um, so, you know, a lot of, there was no inner peace there. I was very anxious. It was, you know, having a little bit hard time sleeping right before. Um, but, but again, afterwards when we were done and when I got home, there was a very, um, very strong feeling of, of contentment, right? That we might successfully helped another individual also get, you know, get their doctorate. Um, so I, I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to distinguish there a little bit. Absolutely. And I can see how probably their interactions with you or how you've been just in your work to be able to connect with people and to pass along what's worked for you, you know, in like academic ways and theory, of course, but also from personal experiences and to be able to have that impact on people kind of going through these huge transitions, whether they're defending or parenting or um, at different stages in their life with different folks you might be working with. Yeah, and I I almost think of it as like, um, I think I started off by saying this, where I feel like a lot of our examples in psychology, I think we're often 
you know, giving the the standard example, right? You, if you think of pe someone that's peaceful, you, uh, especially in the in the U.S., like you might almost immediately imagine someone wearing yoga outfit on a mat, um, or you know, some picture of Zen Buddhism. And I, I always find that funny because I think like I've I've almost never seen that, right? Unless I happen to be in a yoga studio. Um, but I do find everyday examples of people finding peace or even those Zen moments. Um, and the, the one example that I love to give is as I was training teachers and parents during um, COVID, uh, we would talk a lot about self-care. And one thing that I would notice is that when I would ask people what their self-care strategy is, um, like there weren't, you know, again, pretty or like well-packaged strategies. They were basically what was helping people in the heat of the moment. And one of the parents actually gave this wonderful example of um, she had, you know, kids, her husband was home. They were working from home while also helping their kids, you know, do the schoolwork. Um, and she would find herself at least once a day going out to the mailbox to check the mail. And, and she would take a little bit extra time. Um, and she, she initially described it as dissociating. Uh, where she would just stare at her mailbox, uh, for like five minutes before she went back in and, you know, went back into the chaos of it. Yeah. And I think we talking to her, we kind of helped her reframe it as like, well, this is actually, the mindfulness exercise we're trying to teach here, right? We're talking about a grounding exercise that is really supposed to bring you into the moment and notice something, you know, visually or, or through touch in your environment. Um, and you discovered it on your own. I <laughs> mean, just, you know, you're not going to find it in any psychology book, but, uh, you know, you can stand out there and just notice the color of your mailbox and the little scratches on it. And, you know, maybe the peeling sticker that might be on it. Um, like that's a great way to incorporate it into your life that fits, fits your context, not necessarily again, what we're, showing as examples. I love that example too. And you're, you're so right. And I'm never going to be able to look at mailboxes the same way. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be like an indicator to kind of pause and reflect kind of like your kittens um, too. But I, I can, I just think that's so important because we have these like symbol of peace, like, like you said, like somebody on yoga mat or, you know, there's like those symbols, you know, of like, the peace sign or, um, you know, with our fingers, if we're making the peace sign or a dove. Um, but you're right. Like it, it is so personal to people and we can find it in everyday circumstances and in life and in objects or relationships or different kinds of inspiration. It's a neat way to kind of break the mold and kind of think outside the box about how we might define it or view it, you know, and, and then to be able to see it kind of everywhere we go, if we want, if we look for it. Yeah. And I think the, there's an ownership component to it too, right? Like I think there's a, you know, if I give it my strategy and then you have to try to fit it into your life versus what's the one that comes to you naturally. Um, and you know, my, my strat, I do have formal strategies and I know almost no one does that for fun or for uh, finding peace, which like I'm a lifelong runner and you know, nothing, nothing helps me find peace, like running, you know, for like an hour, uh, in, in like a really cold winter day. Um, and, and usually I'm doing it at like 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I can't imagine recommending that and that going well for almost anyone. Um, so, but you know. I, I also like to run a lot and usually still my favorite part is stopping. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I think I, it's a weird thing because I, uh, you know, as runners, I always feel like it's, um, trying to explain to non runners like the runner high and, um, even like at some point in the running where it goes from pain to like this very Zen, um, very peaceful feeling of, of just kind of being aware of your environment. And even though you're still tired, um, you know, I, I don't get that feeling in many other things that I'm doing. Um, and 
but I also know that that's not, you know, I think other people like my, my partner's, uh, you know, does wears many hats, but she's a musician. Um, and she gets that feeling sometimes when she's just losing herself while she's playing with her instrument and then just loses herself in the music. And I can't even begin to understand that. <laughs> I have no musical abilities. Um, so it's just a non-starter for me as a, as a strategy. It makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like it's kind of like what you're saying too, and just working um, like around kids and the chaos, but it also sounds like this movement is important to you too um, in finding peace or just that, that sense of like well-being or meaning um, too. And I can see that, like you're saying, like with running or kind of finding like that flow to at a certain point. Um, but how, how great that your partner is finding that, you know, in music too, and just kind of getting lost in the creativity, you know, it's such a amazing experience when those things happen. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, there, there's some uh, even like research on stress that shows that, you know, there's no one good strategy for stress. It's really, you know, the strategy that works for you and more importantly, the ones you're going to actually do. <laughs> so, you know, finding the thing that you already like and, and can do and then using that as a way to, you know, uh, work on your stress. Um, you know, so I think, again, not getting too hung up about what the strategy is or, you know, what, is, what does it look like, uh, but more, what does it do for you? So what, what do you think it, how do we do that when we're so busy? You know, like, I feel like we have self-care techniques, whether we're reading it out of a book um, or we're like just really tapping into our experiences and what we enjoy and like, okay, I need to do more of that lately. But how do you think we can do that? Especially when we're in such a, we're spread thin, it's a busy, chaotic world. We got all the things going on. Um, what do you find is most helpful to kind of protect that time or carve out that time or integrate it into your life somehow? Cause I think that's the, the trick here. Like how can we do more of this? Cause it's, it sounds like it's very meaningful, especially if we're living within our values and that sort of thing and trying to live the best life we can while we're here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost like, um, maybe the wrong person to ask because I'm, I'm not sure I figured that out yet, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is definitely challenging. And I think, um, like I'm thinking, I'm actually looking at one of my, um, I bought one of the, the stoicism books. Um, I think it's like the hundred exercises you're supposed to do throughout the year. And, you know, I committed myself to do the whole year of exercises and I didn't get past the first one. What kind of exercises are those? Like, what's it, what does it entail? What does that mean? So they were, I mean, they're, they're actually really fun exercises, but they're, you know, one of the first ones, I think actually the first one is the, the stoic practice of recognizing what's under your control and what's not under your control. Um, so it's a little bit of like a diary at the end of the day where you reflect on your day and try to recognize what, what was under your control, what wasn't under your control, um, and just helping yourself um, accept the things that might have happened that, you know, you couldn't control even if you tried. Um, so, you know, if I, if I get into you know, I, I want to, I'm going somewhere and, and there's a big snowstorm and I can't travel for the snowstorm anymore. Um, you know, just recognizing that that's under my control and getting upset at the weather is not going to change that. Um, whereas, you know, maybe not setting my alarm and I'm not getting up early enough for, for a trip that I was going to go on is more under my control and I can potentially, you know, change that or make sure that I get up early the next time around. Um, so I, I did that exercise. <laughs> I did it once. Um, and then I incredibly ironic, right? So, I mean, I think that's the question is trying to complete these exercises. Are they within your control or not? <laughs> it, exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of a meta, um, take on that. And, and that's where I actually think that like when I, you know, I, I found, and I, I've heard other, uh, psychologists and therapists describe this is that, um, 
the advice I was giving to other people wasn't the advice I was using myself. So um, over the years, it took me a long time to stop trying those strategies and then moving to actually just looking at my life and going like, what am I doing? Like what, what strategies am I actually using during my day rather than the ones I want to be using during my day? Um, and I did find myself, you know, like in like the cats is a, is a good example when I'm home. Um, but a lot of times what I can do and I'm, you know, can do it easily right now because my feet are touching the ground. I often do the, uh, mindfulness exercise of soles, soles of your feet. Um, which is really just shifting your attention to the bottom of the uh, bottom of your feet. So if you're, you know, touching the ground, um, you know, if you're in your shoes, you can feel the inside of your shoes. Um, and it's just a very quick way for me to ground myself in the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized I've, I have a habit of doing this from childhood because when I was anxious, I would really, uh, clench my legs at, at really tightly. And I didn't want people to know I was anxious. So, you know, that was the one place I'm wearing shoes. They can't see that I'm anxious. Um, so I already have a habit of kind of focusing on my legs. Um, so when I heard about this technique, I was like, I'm already doing this. <laughs> I might as well just make it a little better. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it works for me and it's almost, uh, you know, uh, automatic for me because I've, I've done it so much for, for the wrong reasons. Um, so I think that's where I think my perspective on that has changed and that, um, I think when, you know, sometimes there is no time and I don't have an answer for that, right? I meet a lot of people, uh, whether they're at home or at work that are, you know, too busy. And obviously the official professional recommendation is that you, you know, really value your, your self care and, and make sure that you take time for yourself. Um, and, and everybody should do that if you can, right? You should put in every effort. Like if you can do, yeah, if you can do 20 minutes a day, it, it, it will be life changing. Um, but I would be lying if I would say that I ever get close to 20 minutes a day. <laughs> so, um, but I do, you know, if I'm in my car and I park, I can take 30 seconds to just notice what my feet are feeling like in that moment. Um, and, and that I can do almost anywhere and almost any day, no matter how busy it was, no matter how stressful it was. Um, and the nice thing about it is that it's even possible in the moment of a stressful event, right? So if I'm in a, in a, in a therapy session and I'm, uh, getting stressed by what's happening, uh, with my client, mm-hmm. I can be using the strategy in the moment. Um, right. And it's not something I, I, it's not like deep breathing where I look like I'm hyperventilating <laughs> as I'm talking to the person. Yeah, that might uh, feel. Yeah. 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 It might not be so good for the client either. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think for me, it's a little bit of kind of looking at our lives and, you know, seeing either what's going to fit in there or even some stuff that we're doing, but maybe let's do it more intentionally and with the purpose of, you know, finding peace, uh, as, as part of that strategy. Yeah, these are just great examples. Like I, I really like how you're taking, you know, these big concepts and stuff, but also just kind of breaking it down into like manageable steps and kind of integrating it with very closely to what you're already are doing or have done before, um, just in your day-to-day life. It's, it seems very creative and practical at the same time, you know, to like, okay, well, what can we do with what we have? Cause a lot of times it is like, okay, we've got to make sure that we're doing mindfulness for 20 minutes or we're going for a run or, you know, we have all these shoulds, um, but those add up and all those minutes add up. And so like, well, what can we do in the moment, um, to be able to, to cultivate that like inner peace and connection and, to be able to give ourselves what we need. Um, Cause otherwise it seems like they're just, we're going to be missing all the moments that we could possibly have. And that's just a, such a creative way to kind of bring it into what you're already doing too. 
Yeah, and I, I would probably credit my school psychology training, weirdly enough. Uh, and if anyone doesn't know what a school psychologist is, we you know largely work in schools for helping kids with either mental health or academic challenges. We happen to work a lot with teachers and parents. Um, but, you know, you're likely not to see us because we're usually testing or, or, you know, around, but not necessarily as visible in schools. Um, but one thing that we often do try to do as school psychologists is if we go into a teacher's classroom and a child is struggling there, we, you know, we try to create the strategy that already fits the ecology, the ecosystem of the teacher's classroom, right? And and if we try to change that too much anyways, the, the teacher is going to give a lot of pushback, right? They have their own way of teaching and how they set up their classrooms. So our goal is always to try to change it ever so slightly so that it's still essentially their classroom, but just maybe a small modification on the environment that allows them to be more successful with maybe this child or this group of children. Um, so I think that's already kind of built into my thinking, um, but it probably took me, you know, more years than I care to admit to apply it to myself and, you know, for, for self-care to my, my own life. Uh, I think I always kept trying to find the other thing that I'm supposed to be doing, like the stoic exercises or the yoga um, that I, you know, saw on TV and I bought the DVDs for, and then, and then again, never, never fully did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's so, um, profound really, you know, cause it, it is, especially we might be helping other people. And I think it's so great that you're working with students and also parents and teachers and these bigger systems to really just help like the community in many ways or individual on an individual basis too um but then also kind of turning things around like what am i doing in my life which is so hard and i think a lot of us are so focused on other people especially the caretakers of the world too that we if we take a minute to ask ourselves, it can be really hard question all of a sudden as far as like what we need or how to implement these strategies with ourselves. But I think that you provide such great examples of how you can do that, you know, every day in your life and how important that is um, to be able to find that, to be able to find that meaning, but then to be able to also give yourself with what you need with what you got. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe the, the positive message is that you can find a way to do it. It uh, takes a little bit of, again, just careful attention to what you're already doing. Yeah. Um, and the one aspect I think I, I just kind of heard a part of it in your um, response was, I also think that eventually it's helpful to move this out to not just yourself, but thinking about your community, right? And, and who you're working with. So a lot of my work is focused on, um, you know, the systems that we work in, whether it's professional or, or, or home. And um, more and more I'm finding that I can, build this into the the day-to-day of what I'm doing, right? So I, as a teacher, I can always build in, um, you know, five minutes of uh, self-care time at the beginning of the class, mm-hmm. right? No one's going to, no one's going to stop me from doing that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a lot of the same stuff, like when, when I was talking about acceptance commitment therapy, we actually have ways of working with groups on that. And traditionally that was very much within the realm of therapy, but now we have ways of doing this with any group. So for meeting as a team, uh, whether it's, you know, again, for work or in a school, um, a lot of times we have ourselves go through the same exercises, right? So if we're um, going to have difficult conversations as a group, yeah, maybe we're having some conflicts where we're not as successful as we want to be together. Um, that requires us to, you know, identify what our what our values are, what's important to us as a group, not just what's important to me. Um, and it also requires me to think about what's going to be those things that are going to be um, difficult for me emotionally to talk about with this group or experience as, as we're going through this process. Um, so I think there's like a, a social communal element to it too, where we can do this process for ourselves, but I think um, it really gets enriched by the fact that if we can create communities and, um, you know, systems that are also supporting the same 
same type of work. And so then you can even find that even when you're not able to do it individually. Absolutely. Um, I just, I like how you're connecting with so many people in the community, um, but also role modeling at the same time, like you're living, you're living your work as well. And I can see how that also helps in just kind of overcoming challenges to be able to help inform people and to be able to connect and, and just be that role model, you know, in the community and all these different levels too. It's so important. Yeah. And almost creating a community of role models around me too. So, you know, I think it's always, um, somewhat uh, frustrating, but also very, I'm, I'm always very proud of it is that when I often bring this out into groups that I'm working with, <clears throat> I'm, I'm usually the one that they're often uh, helping to come back to a more peaceful state. Um, so, you know, if it's a stressful week or our projects aren't going where they need to go, I often find my students are the ones that are reminding me of how, you know, we set this up in the first place, right? So um, they're, they're the ones giving me the prompts for, you know, how does this align with our values? Um, and I think that's where I think it's really helpful because I think as individuals, as much as we can do these things, we also have to recognize that none of us can do it alone. Um, so, you know, creating those communities and bringing people into the process, I feel like is really helpful for us. Um, and, you know, it might, it might start with just ourselves, it might start with you standing in front of your mailbox, uh, staring at it. Uh, but I think it's always helpful that we can walk it out and, and create it around us as well. Absolutely. I can see just that like reciprocal nature, almost like, improvisation or something you know it's almost like a dance and these relationships that we have and how we can inspire one another in so many ways and in this case so many positive ways which is really incredible um well thank you Ahmad I just want to extend a heartfelt thank you um, to our incredible guest here Ahmad your stories and insights have been truly inspiring shedding light on the powerful ways in which peace and connection have been cultivated in our lives it's been an honor to have you on Peace Pathfinders podcast and we hope to welcome you back in the future. Thank you again so much for being here today, Ahmad. Thank you, and it was my pleasure to be here. If you'd like to connect with Ahmad further, he can be found at the Nurturing Environments Institute, nei.squarespace.com, or at St. John's University. His email address is Zahir, so Z-A-H-E-E-R, and then I, at stjohns.edu and Saint is ST. He also has a podcast in the works called Parenting Bites, which sounds very exciting, with Association for Positive Behavior Support, and that's APBS.org. Um, and that's scheduled to come out next year, which should be available on the main podcast platform. So look out for that. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you listening today. We couldn't do it without your ongoing support and engagement. If you resonated with today's conversation and believe in the power of spreading peace and connection, please subscribe to our podcast, like and comment on today's episode, and don't forget to share with friends and family. Your actions help us reach more people, inspire positive change, and foster a more peaceful world. Remember, it's the small actions, the ripple effects of sharing our message that create a wave of transformation. Thank you for being a part of our community. Until next time, peace in and peace out. This is Dr. Jody Bremer signing off.